Hello, and welcome to episode 107 of The Winning Agenda. Uh, tonight, our panellists include 2016 World's Top 16 competitors, Wilfred E. Horrig. Hey, that's me. And Deanne Tran joining us again. Hello, hello. Thanks for being here again, Deanne. And, uh, of course, the one and only, our very favourite resident of Huntsville, Alabama, Hollis Echo. Um, I'm ready to play some Magic the Gathering. <laughs> Good to hear. Oh my god, that's gonna have to get edited out. <laughs> so thanks again, Deanne, for joining us. Yeah. We're we're very happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Uh and I, I must admit we had a, a little bit of an oversight last week. We didn't really ask you or Wilfie about uh worlds. Uh, I guess we can touch on that really briefly before we dive into the corpse side of intervention. How did things go for you? You made top sixteen and uh how was the experience leading up to and including that? Uh it was a bit overwhelming for me. Um, I the experience for me was always uh, exceptional. It's um, I wrote an article about it, but it was also always about me seeing the friends and the people again. I'm just kind of experiencing that first and foremost. Um, yep. Being able to make top sixteen again was really just for my own personal uh, knowing that I wasn't I didn't fluke in last year, so just knowing that I was able to do it again this year just made me just feel comfortable in terms of where I sat with the game. But although I was just I just had a great time from playing in the icebreaker to just talking to friends to playing King of Servers to just everything. So it was good to put the faces to names I've, I've seen online before and it was good to just sit and overall just have fun with them. And how did uh, you go in your last round of Swiss? I know that there were a lot of people talking about that. You were paired up against the <laughs> one and only Dan D'Argenio, a two-time world champion. And you guys knew a little bit about each other's decks, but you had some spicy tech. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, actually, the funny part was Dan didn't know what I was playing. He he, he asked me in, in the round, I was like, what are you playing? And I'm like, Valencia. He's like, what's in your deck? And I'm like, I can't tell you that, Dad. You'll find out. <laughs> but me and Dan are good friends, and um, we randomized the sides, and um, he got caught first. So we sat down to go play the game. And I, um, I had not only made... I usually, sorry, let me start over. Usually when you build a runner deck, what I find is that you usually build a runner deck that's a little bit stronger against your corp deck. So you have answers for that appropriately. Um, yeah. So I had put in uh, a key card that was going to work against my corp deck. Which was? What was the corp deck? It was, uh, my, my corp deck was uh, NEH, but I had done a, a power shutdown to XR Diagnostics Boom deck. Yep. So what I did as a silver bullet to it was I put in a Hades shard. And right. that became the talk of the town because essentially, as we're playing the game with me and Dan, I had a turn one rebirth and I was going south of the slum trying to go into hand killing, either trying to find Jackson or find agendas or find operations. And what, you rebirthed into Omar, I'm assuming? No, I rebirthed into Edward Kim. Kim. Oh, Edward Kim, sorry. <laughs> yep, trying to find the the operations to hit. Yeah, right. This is slowing down. And then it got to a point where like uh, I felt it was turn zero and I didn't have appropriate answers at that point. It became uh, me basically installing Street Peddler using Peddler to install whatever was on it. Deja Vu the Street Peddler to install it again. Use the Peddler. And just, I, I used all my Deja Vus, and I installed all three Street Peddlers until I was ready to do, do my turn. And then I ran. And eventually you, you found your tech. I found my tech. And yep. Dan power shut down first. As I, Well, he did reuse, and then he power shut down for the first part of the combo without installing a Jackson. And because of that, and I had four points, I used Hades immediately off the Peddler to steal six points from archives. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, 
I think the the whole world heard a cry ring out at that moment. Is that right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a lot of people approach me, actually ask me, like, was it okay? Like, how did your game go? And, and thought I lost. But um, the people have, that have played with me before understand that in a very tense moment like that, I get overly excited and I just need to have a bit of an emotional outburst. Um, a bit of profanity <laughs> that comes with it, but it uh, was a well-earned moment that I, that I felt I needed to do it. No, cool, cool, cool. So, and after that, you uh, ended up making top 16 and that was, it's obviously a great achievement and a great milestone to get there. How did you feel sort of once you sat down, were you eyeing off first place in the world championship or were you sort of pretty stoked to be there? Um, I mean, I think for anyone that's in the top 16, everyone wants to eye and look at top uh, and say they want to be the world champion and, and, and such as I, like I, I would love to have had that honor. But uh, overall, how do you so I, how do you approach the psychology of that when you sort of sit down in your first top sixteen match? Is it hard to keep your uh, mind on the on the game without having a little bit of an eye on the prize at the end of it? Um, I'm not gonna lie to you. The first the first year Worlds was was actually pretty intimidating when I made top sixteen. And my first opponent was Dave Hoyland um, because you're just trying to get through like the, the the motions. Be like, okay, I need to ensure I'm playing correctly, but also not be caught on the hype. Um, this year, not to say like I had a lot of experience, but I felt more experienced at the point. So I was just more focused on playing the game itself. So that mm-hmm. just, I wasn't even thinking about getting number one first off. I was just more focused on like, okay, let's just play correctly and play respectfully and then just ensure like everything's going correct. Uh, and just having fun at the end of all of it too. Awesome. And, uh, hoping for a, uh, one up your results next year third time top 16 perhaps go a little bit deeper yeah, i've been talking to a few world players about this and um this actually may be my last last year going to worlds just for like the short term oh no um yeah just there's a few things that's going on in my life uh, not to go too deep into it personally but um i don't know if i'm able to repeat my my attendance next year uh, unless a few things go my way but I'm, I'm i'm hoping if if i am able to go again next year then i would love to of course up up the number and you know be able to at least like stay top four or of course even win but um yeah it's always you know trying to keep a positive thought about it <laughs> so thank you fantastic well it's a great result anyway congratulations and uh yeah there's not many people out there who can say they've been top 16 of worlds twice so that's fantastic thank you. and wilfie uh i guess we should touch briefly on on your tournament as well how did things go for you yeah so i think um by the time you guys hear this i will have we will have released our worlds episode so I have gone deeper into how Worlds went then, but I will just say quickly, I made top 16. Everything was very fun. It was great to um, meet everyone, of course, but also to sort of get a feel as to how the tournament would go. I didn't really know what to expect coming in, what Worlds would be like. And so, you know, it lived up to my expectations, which was great. And I had a result, which I'm happy with, which is also great. Um but yeah, no, it was a good time and I highly recommend everyone come next year. Awesome. Well, without further ado, I think we should dive into the corp side of intervention, which is, of course, why you're all here. So the first card is a one-cost Haas Bioroid operation called Wetwork Refit. It's two influence and it's got the subtype Condition. Install Wetwork Refit on a resed piece of Bioroid ice as a condition counter with the text host ice gains do one brain damage a do one brain damage subroutine before all its other subroutines so first thing to note before i throw this to you hollis 
It goes before all its other subroutines, and it's a do one brain damage subroutine, and it's only on res bioroids. What do we think? Um, <clears throat> cards that add, I guess, these like additional uh, like uh, subroutines on ice tend to not be really successful in that runner. Uh, I, I think part of the reason for that is is knowing that number one, it in this particular case, it um, it requires a very specific subtype, so it's only really going to be used with a very again a very specific style of deck, right? It, it, the fact that it only works on Bioroids means that um, there may be an ID that we are about to talk about where this card is really pretty much going to be slotted in exclusively. And even with the release of cards like Fairchild, um, we've discussed before how odd brain damage is in Netrunner. If it's if your strategy for um, killing the... Uh, if your strategy is not killing the runner... I'm going to rewind that whole section, but... If your strategy, no, I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, if, if your strategy for killing the runner doesn't really like go all in, brain while it sucks to take is like a mild like bump in the road. Like you like it, hmm. you you take the brain, you're like oh that that kind of sucks, but it doesn't completely destroy your your plan going forward for playing the game. Um, and given the fact that most bar red eyes, of course, give you the ability to spin clicks to ignore subroutines um you could end up in a situation where this card doesn't really give you as large as a benefit as you would hope um in a lot of cases you might even just be better having a spare piece of ice in the server that's more expensive but at least then you're ensuring that the subroutines added from that other piece of ice are doing more than a brain damage subroutine that goes first in front of all Mm. and uh something that we discussed in the last episode when we were discussing en passant was that there are so many tools for Anarchs to destroy ice these days that it's hard enough investing the one card in your ice, which is the ice itself, let alone investing another card, which obviously, you know, you have to click to draw that other card. You have to spend the click to play the other card and pay the play cost, which in this case is one. Dan, do you think this effect is powerful enough to justify that additional investment in an already res piece of ice? Mm, I, I wish I could say it, it would be a powerful investment. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that are a little bit different this time around, and you know, one is the idea that we'll be discussing very soon. Uh, but two, the design of this having the before all subroutines, um, making it you know just so you can't bounce off the ETR and just call it a day. Um, mm. But once again, like ice destruction is a big part of like the competitive meta right now, and to see this really at the end of the day like if you think about mathematically you're just adding on an additional one credit cost if you're just playing normally um so it's not a huge drain at the end of the day um i mean you can always math around the beauty that of certain cards much like fenris well that was great about it was that you didn't expect brain damage to hit you so if the res didn't have a century breaker then you hit the brain here as a runner if you're sitting down you're mathing out methodically you can always kind of work around it or if you're in a last-ditch attempt, you're going to take the brain just to try to get through. So um, as much as it has a lot going for it, 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 it has a lot going against it also. Hmm. Uh, you touched on something there, which is it goes at the start and you can add something to an ETR. Wilfie, do you think putting this on an Eli could be something that we see people doing, or is that still not quite enough? I think the problem is that it has the same issue as positional ice, except you don't like you lose the benefit of positional ice which is that it's much more efficient than um would otherwise be the case like positional ice is far like the good positional ice is far more costly for the runner to deal with than 
would otherwise be the case for regular ice that doesn't have the positional drawback mm. and this has the same drawback except doesn't have the benefit of being actually expensive for the runner to deal with as dan said it's only for most most if not all century breakers it's just an additional credit and you can never surprise them with it the one thing i will say is like um when i was first starting out this game uh one of the players in my meta that taught me a great bit he said um that the first brain is always free because playing the game with poor hand size is actually not a pain the next set of brain like costs a little bit but still it's not too much of a pain so being said that brain damage for a lot of players if you take one throughout the entire game it's it doesn't affect you that much and really it's only until you get to like the one hand size and you're playing maybe a faust deck that affects you but otherwise mm. at that at this point at that point in the game you should be able to set enough set up enough that you can understand your board state and how to play around it and mm. um, that's particularly so against hb um, excellent. Well, the next card is the aforementioned identity. It's Hasbyroid Architects of Tomorrow. It's an identity megacorp, 45 minimum deck size, 12 influence. The first time the runner passes a rezzed piece of Bioroid ice each turn, you may rez a Bioroid, lowering its red co- res cost by four. So we'll just go through the elements of that. The runner has to pass a rezzed piece of Bioroid ice, and it's the first time they do it each turn, you can res a Bioroid, which could be a piece of ice or an upgrade or an asset, lowering its res cost by four. What do we think of this one, Wilfie? So, firstly, the issue with any HP identity that provides an economic benefit, like a sort of conventional economic benefit, is that's going to be compared against Engineering the Future, which is still probably one of the best definitely one of the best identities in the game and this is gives potentially a much greater benefit but has a few drawbacks to it the first is that the runner can choose when to trigger it that is the like of course the runner is going to have to make runs during the game but they can sort of limit the effectiveness of this by running multiple times in a turn um running when you don't have very many credits so there's a minimal number of things that you can res or running when you don't have that many face down ice to begin with um, in play, assuming that all your ice is biroids, which I think is a fair assumption if you're going to be playing this identity. It's certainly less controllable than installing a card. Yes, exactly. Um, but, and, but to sort of counterbalance that, for decreasing the res cost by four means that you can go the whole game spending only a minimal number of credits to res your ice, um, but the issue there is that you still, the runner has to pass a piece of resed ice. So you have to have at least one piece of ice resed on each of the servers that the runner cares about running for this ability to start doing anything, which means I think that realistically, I don't think it's going to be that useful. Like just most of these, the ability is powerful, but most of these drawbacks mean that you're going to have to build your deck in a very specific way to be able to take advantage of it. So the, a couple of things worth noting, I think, are that the resed piece of ice doesn't have to be on or in the same server as the card that you're resing with it. So you conceivably could set up a situation where you've got one piece of ice resed on R&D and one resed on your remote. And then every time they run those servers, you can res something on Archives, HQ, R&D, wherever. Right, but I sort of see it as being like, you know, in the early game, you're going to have from six to you know 12 credits depending on what's going on so mm-hmm. they run somewhere you res your eli 
they like best case scenario you res your fair child but on an average case scenario you're gonna res your eli early in the game so you res your eli they bounce off then they run a server that you're then gonna to have to force be forced to either res your ice losing the benefit of the architects of tomorrow ability and remember i think that it's not likely to trigger that many times in a game and have it be like super relevant mm-hmm. um so that's like probably the most likely scenario which means that you're still going to need to have lots of economy in your deck to make the to have the potential to res the ice early to even trigger the ability i don't know it just seems like it takes up a lot as i said before it takes up a lot of slots in your deck to be filled with stuff that you don't necessarily want to need to plan your game plan around like you don't and they also have to be legitimate enough threats that the runner has to run them you know, that you're actually threatening something to force them to make runs early. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I don't know, just those... I think the ability is powerful, but it comes with a, a few constraints. Mm. And the other drawback uh, is that when you're pre-resing ice with this, you're giving away information to the runner. And that ability on Executive Bootcamp and Amazon Industrial Zone has traditionally been a Wayland ability, but it hasn't been particularly powerful because giving away that hidden information is actually quite a drawback for the corp as well. Deanne, what do you think about that drawback in combination with what Wilfie discussed in terms of the playability of this ID? Um, so it's... I, I'm a bit mixed on these kind of IDs because one... It, it certainly favors, and it does, does change the playstyle of this corp. So when I imagine this kind of corp, and we want to be able to build around the fact that you want the runner to run so you can have um, benefits behind it, um, I imagine an HP that builds a remote, which is putting in assets inside there where you ideally don't want them to keep it alive, right? Um, so much like G's model Byroid, which is surprisingly, he's not a Byroid for those who are curious. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, he's just a lion's. Um, because this ab- ability also does let you res borrowed cards, which can assu- include assets like uh, Alex Talbot or um, uh, Ash, which is an upgrade. But either way, beyond that, um, that's when it, when I think of that kind of HP is the, it's going to try to lure you into that server constantly. So that's one. Um, two, yes, the I I like the idea that the the money they usually get from ETF is now being put into face, but it it reminds me and brings me back to like. Um, um, certain other players talking about an idea that's so focused around defensively about the ice that it's not setting is being so focused on defensively that it's not giving enough enough offensive plan. So it's gonna come down to really how you build the deck around. I think making the runner go through that remote repeatedly to then bring up your central defense or having something out there that makes the runner enticed to run, much like cause like subliminal messaging, for example, right? Um, mm. having that card coming back to hand constantly um, getting the free credit or even just comboing off to like some similar subliminal messaging and shipping from Sansa to score uh, might be aggressive enough but it's going to have to come around building the mentality behind I'm making a defensive server that you need to run to um, address a, an issue that I have but is also going to benefit me in, in that uh, interim and the other thing worth noting I guess is the the 12 influence which is not traditionally been a hallmark of a great identity although controlling the message obviously does have that drawback as well how much do you think that will affect this i mean hb possibly the faction that can deal with that the best mm, i don't have a very strong opinion about hb right now i'm uh, pretty biased against them because of what i, what I okay. see uh, but i'd love to see hear someone else talk about it 
Okay, Hollis. Um, Any thoughts on the twelve influence and how that could affect the card? Uh, I think that well, in general, I think that uh, we've hit a sort of sweet spot with HB Ice, or more specifically with Bar Red Ice right now. Um, there's a fair amount of options, and I would say th- there's definitely a lot of good. There's enough good Bar Red Ice. The negative is, is that a lot of the ice you want to include that are what I would consider almost auto includes in HB in general are also in the most wanted list. Um, Eli and Architect, I would imagine those get included in any HB deck regardless of the influence or the actual build. Like, I feel like those cards are strong enough to always include. But the negative to that is that if, if they're on the most wanted list, having three less influence overall is a pretty big hit. I mean, effectively, that means that that the expectation would be you've lost a influence equivalent to three Eli or three Architect. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that is significant. Um, it might actually be when I when I look at like a a good deck, you know, a good build that could you utilize this ID. Um, in my, you know, off the top of my head, I would imagine it would include cards like Eli Architect, Itchy One, Fairchild Three. Um, as and that's just like a starting. Like we we you can work a Ravana One and Two, or excuse me, Ravana One. You you could mess around with the, you know those ice enough to where I think you could get a fairly at least a good twelve to fifteen ice right from the start. But when you start including, um, when you start including the fact that Eli is three influence and Architect is three influence, now from your twelve you use six, and then you have your three Jackson, so you use nine. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. when you when you look at it as okay, for me just to use you know ice that I believe is already just good and that I would always play anyway, um, and using Jackson Howard, I'm stuck with only three available influence. You get to this, you get to a, a different kind of problem. It's not an issue anymore of um, then three shipment from Sansan, you've got a deck. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like at, th- at that point, you kind of just shoehorn yourself into playing. Uh, you know what we talked about, which which is a G's Motobaroid, you know, shipment from Sansan, subliminal messaging, sort of fast events deck. Or G's model something. Yeah. Other than a bar. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. G's model alliance. Yeah. Like any. Yeah. <laughs> some sort of you know combination of that. Um, trying yeah. our best to get you know save all the money we can, which is. Mm. I mean, granted, maybe that works. Maybe that's fine. Maybe actually... Ha- Could be Marcus's time to shine. We can talk about <laughs> it. Costs we can talk, we yeah. can talk about it. I, I do think that, in, in general, in Netrunner, uh, preemptive resing, I think is what, I, what you call it, has been notably yeah. bad. If we look back mm-hmm. at Amazon Industrial Zone and um, things like that, it's, it's usually been pretty bad, with the exception being the interaction with Blue Sun. Um, because Blue Suns... Or with Blackmail, I suppose. Right, right, because... because uh, or, or Executive Bootcamp, because those things are generally meta calls based on... Yeah, because, mm. of, because of Blackmail. I Although this doesn't really deal with Blackmail. No, it doesn't. I can't help but think... Well, actually, hold on, let me check something. Doesn't Blackmail say that server... No, it's, but it, it has to be a res piece of ice they pass, so it's irrelevant, yeah. So, I don't know, I feel like... Um, Minus minus the fact that it doesn't really do anything versus blackmail, I actually think I would just. I mean, it, 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 sorry, just on that. I mean, against blackmail, occasionally you might find that they do allow you to res ice on one server, say on HQ, but not on R and D. And against this sort of deck, they have to not really allow you to res it anywhere, or at least not run there again once you have, which could be relevant. I guess. I think so, and also, I mean, in general, I feel like even even though preemptive resing has never been fantastic, 
a discount of four is pretty significant. I mean, that's that's mm. a hedge fund. I mean, imagine every turn or whenever you the the runner makes a run, you just basically save, not necessarily gain, right? Uh, a number of credits equal to a hedge fund. That sounds fine. Yeah, it's nothing to sneeze yeah, at. It, it just uh, compared to ETF where you could gain roughly twelve credits over the game or more, right? I don't know mm. if the I would estimate four instances probably. Where you'd save for would exactly be better, or maybe you maybe you you res more ice. I don't know. Mm. So, in summary, it's going to come down to how much of a threat you can present with those twelve influence and the cards in HB. That's going to force the runner to run. How quickly you can get set up. Whether you can still afford to res ice without the ability. I guess if they call your bluff. Yes. Um, and how much the preemptive resing means that the runner can, as Jan was talking about earlier, just math it out Got and find their way into your servers more easily that way. Yeah, I, I, agree, with, I agree with that. Wilfie, I think this card is going to bring back the return of IT department. I hope you're excited. Really? Oh. Why? Please explain, Hans. Well, because IT department... Our listeners are well, bursting to well, know. Well, because IT department is a card you cannot just let them like have. Right, but mm-hmm. it's also not that synergistic with biroids. No, it's not. It's definitely not. But I, I, I imagine a scenario where I imagine a scenario where you just start building. Like it's a card, they can click through it, but it still forces a run, which means it forces your ability. So you're going to be getting that quote unquote savings, quote unquote. Right. <laughs> like I, 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 okay. what? I, I want IT department to be good more than anyone. <laughs> But that's okay. We, we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> yeah, if you look, if you actually get the full art print of IT department, the bit that's cropped out is actually Wilfie's in the art, <laughs> but they cropped that out on the actual card, which is unfortunate. Ridiculous. <laughs> um, we might move on, I think. Uh, the next card is Fumiko Yamamori. It's a Jinteki asset, four to res, four to trash. Quite an awkward ratio. Let's see what it does. It's an asset character. Whenever you and the runner reveal secretly spent credits, i.e. whenever there's a Psy game, do one meat damage if you and the runner spent a different number of credits, i.e. if the corp won the Psy game. Wilfie, what do you think of this one? Yeah, so I think we'll first look at the effect, which is like basically any card which um, deals damage without taking actions without requiring requiring clicks needs to be considered just because that's the primary way in which the runner is going to find themselves um facing an imminent defeat is through off click damage and so and damage on the corpse turn as well yeah i guess is the other thing yeah, yeah. so a combination of because it's very hard to kill a runner from five cards in hand using only your three clicks on your turn is, is the it? point I mean, if you're trying to do this sort of thing, right? Like, without needing to dedicate your whole deck to doing that, right? As in, mm. like, if you're going to be... Um, Engine techie without tags. Why don't we say that? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, to, to some extent, yeah. Engine techie without tags, I guess, makes sense. But, like, the point is that I think any card which does that in a way which is relatively controllable for the corp needs to be considered... Um, but I'm not sure whether this is relatively controllable for the corp. Like, I can't think of that many things that let you repeatedly play Psy games with the runner, like, in a way which isn't dependent on them running a particular server and 
choosing to play the side game. Like, the ideal situation for this is that you can deal them, you know, one damage when they make a run, when they run into your ice, and then one damage again at the end of the server or whatever. But that seems fairly hard to make work, especially if you consider that the four, that the ratio on the card is so bad in itself. Ugh. Like, if you're going to be using it in that strategy, you ideally don't want to have to spend four to make that work. Like, And it's pretty low impact for an asset, isn't it? Yeah. I that think... you have to defend, really. Yeah, like... Against wizard, especially. Well, well but... yeah, I mean, I think the point is that if it were... If you could think of more ways to make the runner play incidental side games, then it would be better. But that doesn't really... Even decks which have a lot of side games use them at pivotal points in the runner's turn rather than going through repeated side games and, you know, being able to ping them each time. That doesn't really... Hasn't really seemed to be a successful strategy in the past. Okay. So, Hollis, will you be slotting this in your IG deck with your cerebral casts and going to town? Well, obviously not, because ever since they printed the card Government Investigations, like, I'm, it's, it's one-third less likely for me to ever, like, trigger this card. What am I going to do? Is it one-third less likely? Oh, f- uh... No. It's like 16% less likely. Woo! Right. Math. Uh, uh, wow. uh. It's, Bruh. uh. That's okay. We'll <laughs> ignore that. Bruh. And, you know, this is what makes me, like, this is what I dislike the most about the card. It's already just IMO, just like. I think the art's fine. What are you the art's about? gorgeous. But, like, the, no, like, the card, the card <laughs> is actually bad. But I'm even more upset that it's Fortares. Like, when okay. I look at this ability, this is not a pay four to use this ability card. Like, what about this ability at all requires me to pay four? Like, why would I pay four for this? Like, under it, mm-hmm. this is a this could be a zero to res and still not play. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Like, that's actually a problem. I know FFG is listening. That's a problem. Okay. If FFG, if you are listening, we love you. We love you. Thanks for making this game. Thanks for yes. making this game. Also, this card should be zero to res. Thank. You. Okay. Uh, Dan, any thoughts or should we move on? I think we should move on. I think, I think enough emotion has been spilled about this. <laughs> okay. And we're going to make a hasty relocation uh, to the next card. Which is, in fact, called hasty relocation. I'm it's sure a, it was only a coincidence. It's a Jinteki operation. Zero cost. Hollis, sounding good mm. already. Mm. As an additional cost to play this operation, trash the top card of R&D. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. Okay. Okay, and that's it. No, <laughs> draw three cards, add three cards from HQ to the top of R&D in any order. So you draw three, and then you put three from your hand back on top in any order. So sort of like a precognition, but a little bit different because you're actually drawing three first. So I guess it's like a fixed precognition, but it also... We'll deal with that first, just as it is, and then there's the synergy with accelerated diagnostics, which I suppose we can discuss afterwards. Uh, we might throw to DN for the second part, but <laughs> Hollis, what do you think of the first part? As in this card in a non-accelerated diagnostics deck, how do you think it goes just as a general Jinteki draw card that has some added mind games thrown in? Um, I mean, it's standard Jinteki mind games, what I think we call bullshit. I don't know... Um... 
I don't think I'm not sure how far that way extends. Yeah, well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. no, I mean, like it's 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 sort of like remember that the Toki, you know, what? I'm gonna butcher this name. The the card that allows you to like Toshiyuki. Sakai. Yeah, where it's like I'm about to access. Do you want to swap it? And you're like, ha, 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 mind games. Yes, I will. What will you do? <laughs> that like this this very much reminds me in the, like to me it's very much almost on that level because if I put three cards from my hand back on top of my deck, sure, that's fantastic. Like I'm, I may have agendas in my hand, but. And they may be hurtful agendas. They might be feel AI, but I can guarantee you, if I'm if my opponent is playing against Shinteki, they're playing understanding that they're going to take net damage. Like it's a part of the Shinteki color pie, and so they're going to prepare for this. So my setup isn't really that fantastic when they've when they're already prepared for this. I mean, what's the best case scenario? Like they like Maker's Eye me after I put three on top, and it's like snare shock fetal. I don't like I don't know what. The expectation is for why I would ever actually use this, especially not when if all I really care about is drawing three cards, okay, then I already have Heritage Committee, which only costs one as opposed to zero, and I don't have to trash the top card of my deck to do it. I don't know. I just, maybe I'm, okay. maybe someone will have a different opinion. I mean. So in a regular sense, this is probably not looking particularly appealing. No. Dan, what about in an accelerated diagnostic sense? Can you see this as a possible future alternative to power shutdown? Well, I mean, initially, upon looking at it, it looks really good. I mean, you get to draw three, obviously. Like that's If you, if you have the combo, you don't care too much about the draw three. It's the add three from HQ to the top. Um, being able to fire in succession what you want right off the bat is good, but I find a lot of times actually the issue I find is that um, just finding the one or two combo pieces I need. So this I feel like is more of a defensive card for a lot of people. It's like just putting three cards from HQ back to the top in any order, so you can put like just traps or even ice, so that runner can't dig too deep on you. Um, it's good for that reasoning. It's also good for I've been seeing some people tinker around with like ETF decks where they want to do like a accelerated beta test and shoot off three ice onto onto the board. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a great way to play around it. Um, I'd I'd love to see more of the because I'm I'm definitely not a combo lord like Mike and Jason Dang like they're they're definitely combo lords or even Dan Virginia. I want I'd love to see how they would take an iteration on this um, if they were taken to CI or into like um, an NH Boom deck. Um, I I definitely don't have the influence for this if I want to build an NH Boom deck. It's uh, definitely not going to work. So uh, it's 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 a great card for what I can see, but I don't know all the practical applications just yet for it. Cool, but an interesting one to keep an eye mm-hmm. on. The next card is Data Ward. It's uh, the first NBN card in the pack. A six cost, eight strength barrier, three influence. It has an on encounter ability. When the runner encounters Data Ward, he or she must pay three credits or take one tag. So a little bit similar to Toll Booth, except instead of ending the run, if they can't pay three, they take a tag. Then it has four subroutines, each of which reads end the run if the runner is tagged. So, Wilfie, what do you think of this one? Oh, I think that you should take this, given that immediately after Worlds, we went to a tournament where you put this card in your deck, Jesse. Yeah, I did. That's right. Um, And it it was pretty good. It has obvious synergies with Data Raven, because they've already taken a tag before they encounter this ice. If they want to take another one, then they've got two tags, and that's even harder for them to clear, particularly if you're playing Sync. Um, But if they don't, take the tag, they're paying three, and they're still having to deal with the four subroutines. And that's the crucial part. So if you compare it to Tollbooth, it's two less to res, um, but it doesn't have the definite end the run in addition to the three-cost tax. 
it only has the end the runs if they can't pay the three effectively on its own. But Data Raven gets around that because it gives its the, Data Raven gives it the subroutines. On its own though, that's not such a bad trade. Like making the runner pay three or take a tag and deal with subroutines. Either of those situations is not ideal for the runner, but six is quite a lot for NBN to pay. In general, I think it's another, similar to Resistor, it's another tool that you have that can deal with the tag me decks in those NBN strategies. It Eight strength is massive and four subroutines is a lot. So that's going to be really hard for a lot of rigs to get through. One David won't get through it. It's going to be really hard for Faust to get through it. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cards just to get through the one piece of ice. That's probably going to overtax a Faust deck. Paperclip, it's still seven credits to get through. That's quite a bit of uh, building up for most decks that are going to play t- paperclip and be tagged. So uh, it has a lot of uh, potential. The issue is going to be how to get the most out of it in terms of advancing your game plan. And I think the fact that it has such an obvious synergy with Data Raven means that you are going to be able to do that a reasonable amount of the time. And the fact that then it's second mode, once they go tag me, is so powerful, I think makes it quite a good card, at least as a one-of in those NBN decks. Hollis, what do you think? I like it. Like I, I think I, I have, think it's actually a very, a pretty good card. Um, I think when I first looked at it, I sort of panned it. I, I think it's because I missed this, uh, the win encounter ability. I felt like the card was just kind of meh without the the win encounter. That's a pretty big thing. Yeah, to I, don't, I don't. I, what I, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think when I first saw the card, I never actually looked at the full spoiler. I think basically, I, I think someone had told me it was just a six eight in the run of the runners tagged. So I didn't realize it had, you know, I, and I thought it was three subroutines, not four. So I, I, I guess the initial way I was, um, the the initial way I received the information about the card was very different from the actual card itself. This seems playable and good. I, I, I very, I don't know. This, this seems awesome. I mean, you, when you encounter it, you either pay the three, you pay, pay the three or take the tag, so it gains the subroutines. You can combo with other pieces of ice, like you said, like Data Raven. So it, it still has both of those things: the tag. the the three credits and the tag and then or the tag and the the four in the runs um i'm not sure what economy engines required i think tow booth is still really good but this is also very awesome i i think i would i want to i think i'm going to slot this immediately and just see what happens and uh, well i certainly did and it was yeah. great any other thoughts wilfie or Dan? I think it's one of those cards that like are just super powerful as a barrier. Like you, you, I, I feel like you get your value back after the uh, the runner has gone through the second run, like just meeting at the same amount, like either three credits or taking the tag. Because for a lot of mm-hmm. runners, like taking the tag, then you have to deal with the subroutines. Like that's so much. So if they do that way, you already reap so many benefits of it. If they take three, t- uh, pay the three, then you got just need another turn to get it. But like it, it is definitely like. I would say one of the best ices uh, that has come out in this uh, in this cycle so far, and I'd be yeah. surprised for people not to play this over Tollbooth because of just how mm. like this this is too less than a Tollbooth. It still has the feeling of a Tollbooth, and the subs to break through are much more like just there's too so many subs in comparative to its Tollbooth that yeah, this is just an obvious include for CTN decks or decks that are just trying to tag you and attack. Yeah. Great. Um, the other thing that I've noticed about it is that the third subroutine seems to be indented differently to the other subroutines on the card. So if anyone can confirm that for me, I've been trying to measure it up with another card. 
on top of it. And it definitely seems like the third subroutine is indented slightly further to the left. So please help me to confirm that. <laughs> yeah, Lucas, uh, not Lucas, rather, Damon, or Lucas, maybe, I'm not sure where how deep the rabbit hole goes. But if anyone's trying to, you know, send us a secret message through the indentation on this card, you can just email it to us. So Take you. a second and yeah. look at how the triangle in the middle of the data word very much looks like the Illuminati symbol. I'm just saying. Yeah, there's something going on yeah, here, for I, sure. Yeah, I didn't want to bring it up, but... Yeah, we may have to edit that out, depending hoodie. on what happens between now and <laughs> airtime. Yeah. Uh, anyway, moving on, nothing to see there. Uh, the next card is a one-cost NBN upgrade. It's called Drone Screen. So one to res, four to trash, two influence. Drone Screen reads, if the runner is tagged, Drone Screen gains, whenever the runner initiates a run on this server, trace three. If successful, do one meat damage. Cannot be prevented. Hollis, when I read this card, I was a little bit puzzled about how it compares to something like Prysec. Prysec. They have to be tagged. It's only a trace to do the damage. And it costs one to res yeah. instead of being an ambush. Uh, talk me through this. Okay. So, um, so you know what a trace is. And so, no, I'm kidding. Okay, so, I comparing it to Prysec makes this card, I think, uh, I think this is actually a little, I, I think it's worse than Prysec. Maybe you have a different opinion. Um, I think that it's worse than Prysec primarily because um, in order for this ability to trigger, uh, the first thing is that it, um, it actually, you actually have to, have to have the card rezzed first because the effect triggers mm, before they initiate the trigger. Right run. before yeah. they initiate the run, which which is sort of like the problem. What, what I what I like about Prysec the, the most is that it, you know it's installed face down. Uh, as far as the runner is concerned, it could just be another defensive upgrade like Ash or Caprice or anything like that that keeps them out. Um, and Prysec because it is an ambush, it, they have to deal with the ice first. Take the tags necessary, take damage necessary from any other cards or any other effects. And then at the end of the run, or effectively when they get to the end of that server, that's when, you know, price sec is accessed and you can trigger it. And I think what I like the most about price sec is that even though it, 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 uh, it costs you two, it's zero, cost the, corp, or cost the run of three, and it not only gives the one meat damage that you want, it also tags them, whereas this... Yeah, this only does half of that. And it also probably does it at a worse time. I think yeah. giving meat damage at the start of a run is far less likely to be impactful right. than once the run is already committed to going through all of the ice and accessing. Yes, correct. correct. Um, and particularly since, as you mentioned, they know about its existence before they make the calculation to yep. run. All in all, it just seems a little less powerful. Deanna or Wilfie, any further thoughts before we move on? Nope. I have a thought. I mean... Oh, sure. When I looked at this card, like, yeah, it kind of went down that line of thought, too, but then I went went down further just thinking, like, how suits in the current environment. It, it's just, for one res, it's enough of annoyance for a lot of runners, if you're not playing wizard, um, to be quite annoyed over and over again to make the run into, because, well, let's face it, when you get hard-hitting news... That usually that happens when you're low on money, like or otherwise you're prepared to fight the hardy news or remove tags after. When you're in full tag me mode and having this like ping you every turn or run the trace against you, um, I think that's where things get a little bit tough. And I think it it's annoying enough 
if you're in a in a good enough board state to to have it represent um, just enough uh, of the of the threat. Being said that though, um, it does it does um, in terms of index, it's awkward in terms of how you want to have it played because when you do see this card and the runner is not ready to be tagged, then it just kind of sits there. But the four trash crashes yeah. is, is pretty high, so I mean the runners are more most likely not wanting to trash that. But on top of that too. Mm-hmm. When you are set up, then that's when I think I feel like it will shine. So it's it's hard to say, but I like to see in practical application. It's not a region and it's not unique, I suppose. So you could have three of them theoretically on R and D, which is pretty miserable for the runner. Yeah, so that's worth thinking about. Yeah, I mean it's it's another tag punishment card. One meat damage doesn't seem like a lot because I guess you know if you are the runner and you're thinking maybe I want to make three runs on R and D to charge my medium next turn. Losing three cards is probably not the biggest deal, but losing nine cards is obviously not something you're going to be able to do. So <laughs> yeah. multiple stacking your drone screens might be the way to it's go. It's probable they probably looked at the cannot be prevented wording as like a really big deal for this card. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure that's yeah. what happened here in this guy. It is certainly nothing to sneeze right. at, particularly in multiples. Yeah, no, for sure. Mm. Hmm. Worth considering. Any other thoughts? Okay, the next card is Chief Slee. It's a Wayland card. It's an asset, character, three influence, two to res, three to trash. Whenever an encounter with a piece of ice ends, place one power counter on Chief Slee for each unbroken subroutine on the encountered piece of ice. Click five hosted power counters, do five meat damage. Now... I have tried to uh, build a couple of decks utilizing this card. There's some obvious synergies. You've got one direction you can go with Tour Guide to get heaps of subroutines using lots of asset spam in a Gagarin list. The other direction you can go is just to utilize the Wayland cards that naturally have a lot of subroutines, such as Hive, which uh, conveniently enough has five. So a Rest Hive will give you enough power counters for a Chiefsley use straight off the bat. But you've also got Komainu in Jinteki, which is a lot to splash as four influence. So that's a lot to ask, but it is another option that synergizes quite well with Chief Slee's ability. Uh, and then you've got some other Wayland cards like Aaron Boy, another card in this pack, which is coming up, uh, Spiderweb, all of which have three subroutines. The problem is if you're not putting five counters on this straight away, it does get pretty hard to see a situation where the runner's going to let you get to five. In Wayland, being able to shore up your centrals and a remote to the extent that they can't get in and at the time that they're first face-checking a big piece of ice is pretty hard because this doesn't work once they can break the subroutines. So the only time it's really going to work is the first time you res the ice. And if the ice you're resing is on another server, you've also got to have the money and the ice installed to protect this on that turn so that they can't just go straight in and trash this, which is all a lot of coordination, I think, and it's quite hard to pull off. But it is certainly a powerful ability, so I think it's worth tinkering around with a little bit more. Dan, what do you think? Mm, I was thinking this in more of a... more like an IG deck, to be honest with you. Um, it gets quite annoying to kind of run through a deck that is not trying to score on you, and definitely the more Hive is one of the options that you can do, but... Um, Notably in Jinteki, and you can also take out other ices. Like, um, if a lot of people are playing Fair Breakers, you can put a lot of AI programs like Excalibur, or you put, you're just kind of building up slowly. And if they don't address the, the issue that is chiefly building over time, 
um, and try to go kill her or reduce the cost of archives, then she'll get to critical mass. I feel like it's not a card that you have to look at in terms of like, oh, I need to get all five count counters and be able to use immediately. I think it's one of those things that you have to build through attrition. So I'd, I'd like to see this in an IG deck or something that can make it um, like a Gagarin deck, of course, through attrition. Uh, you name the obvious synergy with the tour guide, but I think that's where I would sit with this. Um, I can't see a situation too often where a runner makes a mistake and doesn't try to deal with this to me. Yeah, so it's going to be pretty hard to do this through a regular remote setup, I think. Wilfie, any thoughts? Um, not really, just that the regular things that have been said, which are that this card has a powerful ability that's really hard to make work, I think, just because for an asset like this to be good, you sort of, I think Dian sort of hit the nail on the head in that you really need... It's it's really, really hard to get this to get five counters at once. Like, the pieces just don't come together that often. So you really need it to be doing things for you, I think, while it's just sitting in play, which makes the remote plan not so easy because if it's just sitting there... it Like, it's okay for it to just be sitting there preventing your opponent from running, but if you're not using the remote for anything else because it's seen, it needs to have Chief Slee in it, you're both really not... You're just prolonging the game for not really that much benefit. So I think you want to be using it proactively, and which means needing to protect it in ways other than within your big remote, I think. Now, being said that, there there might be an agenda. I think it was a Helium 3 deposit that we may see mm. coming out to play because putting power counters on things might be helpful for this. That. I think this may be the first relevant Wayland card that actually involves power counters. Yes, FFG is doing the long the long con. <laughs> I think after hearing you say that, a lot of our listeners have just rushed straight to Jinteki to try out their Helium 3 Chiefs League oh. So, listeners, if you do that, uh, let us know how you go. The next <laughs> card is Bulwark. It's another Wayland card. A 10, co- 10 to res, 8 strength barrier, illicit, 3 influence. When you res Bulwark, take 1 bad publicity. When the runner encounters Bulwark, gain 2 if there is an installed AI. 3 subroutines. The first reads, the runner trashes 1 program, so they get to choose. The second is, the corp gains 2, and the run. The third is also, the corp gains 2, and the run. Worth noting that you'll never gain the two from the third subroutine, effectively, because they would have to break the second one, at which point you don't gain the two from the second one. But anyway, uh, thoughts on this one, Wilfie? Um, so originally I thought this was pretty awful, but I think you've been te- like sort of trying to make people come around to it in the sense that it's a barrier which actually has a proactive ability is basically exactly what Wayland needs like something which actually has some teeth when the runner face checks it that isn't Archer and requires and therefore actually making the runner scared to run without breakers and like if you look at it in that way it actually is fairly efficient in the sense that it's um, 7 to break with paperclip or you know depending on data cycle counters but still a sizable amount to break with basically any conventional barrier breaker so using it to defend your servers in the regular way is actually probably fairly feasible. The only issue there is that the bad is the bad pub. Like the first issue is that it costs ten, of course, and so 
effectively eight. Right. Well, potentially, depending on the yeah. situation. But it, you need to have 10 to res it, I suppose, which is the point, mm-hmm. which means that you sort of need a way to turbocharge your economy early in order to use it proactively um, because, you know, there is going to be a point where the runner can get through it and to um, continue their game plan. But for a while, it does stop the runner uh, cold. It's quite efficient at doing that. And so if you can find... if if there is a Wayland deck that's going to be good in that stage of the game where, you know, you have enough money to res your ice but the runner isn't set up, which I think is the stage where Wayland decks are sort of gravitating towards in the chance that they are, that they do have a playable configuration. And so I think this might be a good addition to those kind of decks just because the numbers are, while while the card is efficient... While the card is expensive, rather, the numbers, I think, are fairly efficient if you can get around the drawback of the bad pub. Mm-hmm. And the bad pub, I mean, a lot of people have talked about that as a drawback. In Wayland, it diminishes your ability to play NAPD. It obviously undermines your ability to tax the runner out in the long game and therefore undermines the effectiveness of ice like this. But as you say, if you can try and either use this to score your last couple of points, which I think is probably the best use for it, in those Wayland decks that can rush out behind small and the run ice early and then add this on the top of the server and just say, you know, you probably can't get through this in the hopefully still relatively early stage of the game that we're in. I think that's the best use for it. And at that point, the bad pub isn't of limited um, nuisance to you. But yeah, in terms of supporting a longer game, Wayland Glacier plan, this doesn't quite get there, but that's okay. Um, not everything has to do, not every card has to do everything. Deanna Hollis, any thoughts? Uh, this is Wayland's first bar- only barrier at eight strength. Because Orion is okay, not. Okay, the statistician only, Hollis. Because Orion is not only a barrier. But yeah, this is the first one. Yay! We made it. And look, despite the bad pub, it seems like a reasonable upgrade on Hadrian's Wall. Yeah, I definitely. Uh, but- Dan? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite bothered by this because I, I see the proactive side where they have AI, so you get $2 out of it, but Bad Pub is really good. Um, I know this from personal experience, mm-hmm. and when I, when I compare this to like Hadrian's Wall, yes, a 10 res, but it just it doesn't speak enough to me in terms of what it can do. Like The runner being able to trash the program of choice is always so beneficial. Um, I rarely run into situations where a runner's like, oh my gosh, I have to trash this. Um, it's more like, oh, okay, well, I'll just trash this use David or I'll trash like this data yeah. sucker. So it's it doesn't speak strongly enough to me as an illicit item. Like I remember back in the day when I used to run illicit ice, like Grim, like that was a game-changing ice. Like being a sniper breaker that was crucial to your game plan to get into my servers was great. Bulwark where it says this, it just it doesn't do enough to me you getting two credits is not enough of a gain and giving a runner bad pub which can effectively give him just a huge advantage over the over the turn like that's pretty much a desperado built into your into your every run now so it's it doesn't it doesn't speak enough hmm. yeah so you've really got to use it at the end of the game i think when you're looking to end the game yeah, yeah. it's a tough one unfortunate that I mean, look, we could we could speculate about all the abilities that could have had and the things that it could not have had. Certainly without Elicit, it would be a lot better 
if the AI bonus was something other than just another two credits, that would be great. But yeah, anyway, we should probably move on. Uh, the second last card is the first neutral card in the pack, and it's an Operation Grey Ops. It's called Best Defense. It's cost two. Trash one install card, installed card with an install cost equal to or less than the number of tags the runner has. So, Wilfie, this can hit a zero-cost card if they have no tags. And once they have tags, it can hit something up to the cost of the number of tags they have. What do you think yeah, of this? Yeah, so I see it as kind of being an evolution of Observe and Destroy. Not necessarily better, not necessarily worse, but I think more flexible in that it can snipe zero-cost um, runner things even when they're not tagged, as a, opposed to Observe and Destroy, which you really need to hold until the game-changing moment where you actually get them tagged. And also, it can be used... Like, it's just more flexible in general because you don't have to... They don't have to have fewer than six credits, and it's more reasonable to do just as a sort of utility play because you don't need to remove one of their tags to do it. So I think this card's actually quite strong and the only issue is that like now that there are so many ways for corpse to like there are so many different options for tag punishment it's sort of a bit hard to justify playing one which doesn't like which isn't necessarily going to be its best later in the game like you really need to i think focus you really are going to need to have something that you want to kill with this card that you put this card in your deck to primarily kill in order for it to be good because I think just using it to snipe the runner's things to dismantle the game plan is strong but you know between exchange of information and closed accounts there are already so many good ways and cheap ways for the corp to mess up the runner's game plan if they're tagged that just removing one thing might be better might be worse removing a plus grade is obviously good if you're on the boom plan well exactly and that's why i compare it to observe and destroy but i just mean as a tag punishment card in general um it's a bit harder to justify i think hmm hollis do you have any thoughts on this one um it definitely lacks i feel like a lot of the times like uh when bring it to observe and destroy like with what wolf i think a lot of the time when we were analyzing those uh that card we noted that while it normally requires like a card combo, like the cards that it has to use that combo are very, very strong, right? Like, I mean, you'd have to, number one, make sure you, you hit them with like something like a hard hitting or they're tagged from a previous turn. Then you close the counts them so they're actually at zero credits. And then you go the route of actually, um, you know, using Observant Destroy, removing one of those tags, but you can trash any card. Um, this requires a certain number of tags, of course, so... Um, Here's why, here's why I do think it's a problem. Because I think it's a problem primarily because if they have a lot of... If, if there's a fair amount of cards that are at a high cost, it's very difficult to justify this card over Observe and Destroy, knowing that when you build a sink or you build a CTM deck that utilizes Observe and Destroy, it's likely going to go hand-in-hand hand with closed accounts. Those decks normally run that anyway. The reason why I think this card might be fine, though, is that I don't want to necessarily overestimate the number of tags I, the runner has to have for this card to be effective. Because... There's a lot of great runner cards that only cost three or four or in that realm. And I feel like, especially because Hard Hitting News sits squarely at four tags, um, 
they may even have more tags than that because of cards like you know because they're they're doing like a, a siphon spam deck or anything like that. I feel like this card actually could be incredibly powerful. Killing a David that's got full counters on, um, that they're not using immediately seems pretty strong, and the card only costs three. So, um, killing an Ada. Yeah, killing an Eater. Yeah, it was is also very good. I mean, like basically hard hitting news alone. If they're not removing any tags, um, because for whatever reason, maybe you they just have just they've lost just enough money. Um, best defense seems like it could kill a key card at the right time and set them back just as much. Or if not worse than observe. Hmm. Dan, any thoughts? Yeah. Um. I mean, thinking beyond just even getting tagged. To be honest with you guys, like, um, this card actually, I wouldn't be surprised if it was splashed as a, not even splashed, it was just used as a one of in a lot of current corp decks. Um, you'd be surprised how many good co- zero cost cards there are right now. So, for example, hmm. David Saya, Net Ready, yeah, Net Ready Eyes is, yeah. is the immediate one that people think of for Wizard, right? But think about other archetypes for runners. So we know about Diaper. Diaper uses a bookmark to go to store all the combo cards in that. That's gone. Um, using Progenitor. Some people are using Progenitor to be able to store the medium counters on that. That's gone. Security testing for criminals. That's gone. Mm. Um, removing Councilmen for CI decks. You can include that now to kill Councilmen to remove off the board. That's gone. Um, SMC. SMC. You get rid of the tutor. There, there are so many options right now that stand as a zero-cost install that it's actually not a bad card if you just want to play as a two-cost removal. Yeah, and we were thinking of playing closed accounts in, like, faster HP decks just to do something against Siphon, and I think this is, like, it really means that even decks which aren't necessarily going to tag the runner or are only going to tag the runner incidentally have tag punishment cards. Yeah, like, same old thing goes away too. Like, you know how popular that card Mm. is. Yeah, that can be incredibly important. Yeah, so uh, definitely a lot more going on there than it may look like initially. Uh, the last card in the pack is another corp operation. It's a neutral operation, no influence, zero cost. It's called preemptive action. It's a terminal operation. So after you resolve this operation and your action phase, i.e. your turn, shuffle three cards from archives into R&D. Remove preemptive action from the game instead of trashing it. I'm having deja vu here. That reminds me of something else. <laughs> A good friend of mine named Jackson Howard. Uh, what do we think of this as a Jackson replacement? I know some people have touted this as possibly the closest replacement we've seen so far that all corps have access to. Hollis, do you think that uh, this is going to be replacing your Jackson Howards? Well, I mean, once they rotate out, anyway. Uh, no. Well, like, <laughs> What are the issues with like, this one? Jackson Howard triggers mid-run. I mean, the biggest benefit of Jackson is that it basically allows you to overdraw, pitch cards, and then basically shuffle them back before the runner gets to react. So when, as the corp, when you have a bad start, when your hand is flooded, you fix this problem immediately with no interaction. Now, in Netrunner, that sometimes it turns out to be a very, very bad thing in the game, where, not, you know, non-interactive like scenarios tend to be the negative play experiences that people always talk about. But in this particular case, Jackson Howard does a great job of adding the sort of non-interactive element, in a sense, but also balancing the game. This card doesn't really do that because the cards aren't actually... The, the agendas in your hand that you're maybe even attempting to overdraw to get rid of are not in the discard pile yet when you have the option to use this card. Which means that you have to bluff them not being agendas, I guess, <laughs> before they run. Yeah. All right. And the cost of a run on archives is generally so minimal for runners at that point in the game. Right. Like, that doesn't... I don't know. Yeah, no. 
I mean, I, I wouldn't. No. <laughs> I mean, you can splash through your influence now on reuse instead of Jackson. Uh. So uh. Right, so you can proactively trash cards from your hand and then <laughs> shuffle them away. Oh. You get two credits for each card. Oh boy, that's true. Uh, Wolfie, any thoughts on this? Um, no, not really. Past what's been already said, like I don't know. It just seems like I know that post rotation will be a whole different world, essentially. So speculating on it right now is, I think, a little difficult. Um, but also that. The idea of using this card as a Jackson... Like, this card might have a place somewhere just because I think it is still important to have recursion, especially in decks where you have operations that you need to, like, see many times over the course of the game. But this doesn't really help do what Jackson does in the same sense that it allows you to safely move agendas between zones. It's definitely the opposite of safe. And so I think... If it has a place, it's not as a Jackson replacement. Great. That brings us to the end of our intervention card highlight. Thank you all for being here with us. We've been The Winning Agenda. If you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, you can tweet us at Winning Agenda. If you want to get in touch with us on Facebook, you can find us at The Winning Agenda. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can throw a few dollars our way at www.patreon.com slash thewinningagenda. And if you want to send us an email, you can email us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. Thanks again to Dan for joining us this week. Uh, Dan Tran. Thank you so much. All the way from Canada. Sorry. Thank you so much for having That's me. Right. I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, all from Canada. I, I know you guys are in the US, so we, we have this luxury to connect at this time. Um, but, you know, when you're in Australia, by all means, uh, connect again. I know Hollis is not a morning person, from what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> I do fine. I do well. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, we would very much love to have you on again and we've appreciated your insights on this episode and here's hoping that whatever is preventing you from possibly coming to Worlds next year gets cleared up because it'd be great to see you again. Awesome, thank you so much. No problem. Uh, we'll see you next week. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.